Welcome to Virtual Student Experiences, where we inspire students to aspire. For more information, please check out our website at www.virtualstudentexperiences.com. All right. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Virtual Student Experiences Business Spotlight. If you're new to our program, Virtual Student Experiences is a pro bono initiative spearheaded for students by students. The goal of the VSC is to give students around the world an opportunity to hear from professionals in their career industry of interest in a friendly and casual setting. For students that know what they want to do, the role of the VSC is to encourage, allow, and connect those students with professionals. Through VSC, students are given the chance to decide if their career choice fits their personality, skills, and overall interests. For students who are ambivalent about their future, the role of the VSC is to help them not only explore, but to discover different career paths and options. To find out more information and sign up to be notified about other webinars, you can visit our website at www.virtualstudentexperiences.com. But before we begin, I just wanted to go over some housekeeping things, so hang on tight. Firstly, I'm going to be asking our guest professional that I'll introduce in a second, a series of base questions so that you can get a good idea of who he is and what he does. And if at any time you think of a question, feel free to post it in the Q&A module on, on the bottom, and we'll get to it in the later part of the webinar. So, our guest today is Robin Campagnano. Mr. Campagnano is an experienced business manager and community servant. He served as the president and CEO of AIG Insurance Company, senior advisor at Farmers Insurance Hawaii, and the insurance commissioner in the state of Hawaii, and has also served on numerous charitable boards. He has earned his bachelor's degree in liberal arts at the University of Manoa, as well as the Juris Doctor and MBA. He is currently engaged as director of several for-profit and nonprofit organizations, a mentor or advisor to several current and startup businesses, and a consultant to several organizations, and an executive coach to many. And we are very happy to have him here today, and thank you very much for joining us, Mr. Campagnaro. Oh, it's my, it's my pleasure. I'm absolutely delighted to be here, and I hope I can be of help to you all. I'm sure we'll have a, a great hour with you uh, here with us today. So first, just starting, can you tell us about really how you got into business? Well, let me start with my career, because um, I'm in a situation where uh, I've had a lot of different experiences uh, through my life. Uh, coming out of school, I practiced as an attorney for about 10 years. And then I had, the, I had the luxury and the pleasure of serving as a manager in the state, the federal, nonprofit, and the for-profit communities. I uh, became a, the um, director of the U.S. Small Business Administration in the Honolulu office. On the state side, I was a state insurance commissioner. On the uh, for-profit side, I, as a buddy you mentioned, um, I was the president and chief executive officer of a company called AIG Hawaii Insurance, which later became Farmers uh, Insurance. And on the philanthropic side, I, uh, Pierre Romidiard, the founder of eBay, asked me to set up a private equity firm working on philanthropic projects in Hawaii. Uh, so it's hard to say how I got involved with uh, everything. Uh, frankly, um, I, I think I'm sort of uh, unique in that I never had to apply for a job. Every job was offered to me, uh, often at a time when I wasn't looking at a job. So I really don't know how to answer that question, how did I get into business? I just happened to be fortunate to uh, be in a situation where I was given all these opportunities. Hmm. Awesome. And then your education, since you have a Juris Doctor, you are pretty much a lawyer by trade, as well as you have an MBA. So can you tell us about how vital your education was in terms of your success? 
education, I think, is extremely vital uh, for my success. And um, I don't think my education has stopped. It keeps on going. But first, I want to tell you, I went to Roosevelt High School. That's uh, the start, the pillar of my, of my educational career. My undergraduate degree at University of Hawaii was in liberal studies. I studied all kinds of things, uh, you know, um, from modern Japanese uh, male um, writers to uh, the Filipino language. Uh, to the Neolithic studies and art history. Uh, so I have a very well-rounded background. And because of that, I, I had to go get some uh, trade school experience. And that's why I went to law school, which was extremely helpful. But also getting an MBA uh, was, was extremely helpful as well. Both, um, both graduate degrees, I think, helped me in uh, framing my, my, my skill set so that I could you know, do just about every job that was offered me. I did also attend a, uh, a, a long summer program at Har uh, the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard University in public policy. So I, you know, I dabbled here and there. Um, I also taught graduate and undergraduate uh, classes at uh, Chaminade University as well. So education has been a big part of, of my life, um, my career, and I think uh, has given me the opportunity to try a lot of different things in life. Awesome. Um, and then into your experience a little bit, can you tell us a little bit about your time as the insurance commissioner for the state of Hawaii and uh, what your job was like and what your responsibilities were? The, being a state insurance commissioner is a fascinating jo job. There is no uh, federal regulation of insurance, so the states are left on their own. So the state commissioners come together and work as a Congress, if you will, uh, to regulate insurance. Now, the regulation of insurance is basically, you wanna keep insurance companies healthy, but you don't want them to charge rates that are unaffordable for the public. So you're sort of caught in between the public interests and the interests of the insurance community. It's a very tough road uh, to navigate. And frankly, a regulator's job is, is, is very, very tough. Uh, but as a state insurance commissioner, uh, you have the responsibility of regulating companies that work with businesses uh, around the world. And how, you know, how does a small state like Hawaii manage to keep insurance companies honest in the marketplace? Uh, that was a, a fantastic challenge, and I, I did it for five years. Uh, frankly, uh, working with my colleagues throughout uh, the mainland, I, you know, I ended up uh, being very active in the insurance regulation, not only in Hawaii, but uh, worldwide. Uh, I, I would do crazy things like give keynote speeches, speeches in Lloyd's of London, in Tokyo, in New York, uh, in representing the United States as the subject matter expert in negotiations with the European uh, Union, and going to Tokyo and trying to uh, tell the regulators there that Hawaii is a good place to do business. So it was a fascinating blend of regulation, but also economic development, if you will, for Hawaii. Uh, that was one of the toughest jobs I've ever had in trying to balance the road between uh, making sure that consumers got the coverage and protection they needed, but also making sure that the insurance industry did a fair job and got fair returns for what they did. It was something that uh, uh, was probably one of the best jobs I've, I've ever had. Yeah. Hmm. And from that job, can you tell us about what valuable skills and knowledge and really experiences you took away from that position? You know, I, I really put my education to use. I, you know, used a lot of my both legal and my uh, graduate business education uh, to actually do the job 
but also there was a big, big sector, uh, part of the job that required knowledge of the political process. How do you navigate not only our state legislature, uh, but Congress as well. I testified on, on, on Capitol Hill uh, many times on in, insurance regulation. So learning how to do a job politically, learning the economic aspects of a job, uh, learning how the business aspects fit into it uh, was, was very, very helpful and, and, and helped phrase, uh, help phrase my, or catch my abilities uh, to do future jobs. It was very, it was very, very helpful in that regard. Hmm. And then as the president and CEO of AIG, how did your responsibilities um, change or differ? And really what skills and knowledge overlapped from your job as the insurance commissioner? What, what I really liked about government, both, uh, in you know, both for uh, my, my role as the head of the Small Business Administration locally and for the insurance division is that you're working for the public good. At the end of the day, uh, if you do your job, if you work hard, uh, you, know, you, you know that you've done something or you try to do something uh, for the people of the state for the community. Uh, working for a private sector uh, operation, that's not what you're, you're out there for. Theoretically, you're, you're trying to grow wealth for uh, the corporate entity. I mean, that's the purpose of, uh, that's the primary purpose of most businesses is to accumulate wealth, to make money. So the mission is, is really different. Uh, working for a company like American International Group, which at the time was probably one of the best uh, um, most um, di dynamic insurance companies, financial services companies in the world uh, was an extreme challenge. I worked for the best. Uh, I worked for very demanding managers. I uh, had a very demanding, uh, well-known, internationally known CEO. Uh, and so I learned an awful lot about how to run an organization. Now, taking my public career into the private sector was also helpful because I could add a touch of helping the community uh, you know, to, to the job. And that's what I really enjoyed about working at uh, a, a large insurance company in Hawaii. Um, yeah, so all of the education, all my prior experience really helped me when I took my, my longest serving job, um, that is of a CEO. And then as CEO, um, really what mindset and attributes did you have? Well, I think let me, buddy, let me start here. I think for every job that I've been a manager at, and most of my career has been in running organizations, you start with having a vision. What do you want to do with the job when you set forth? When I took over the, the job at the Small Business Administration, it was, how do we help small businesses in Hawaii specifically? Uh, when I took over the job as insurance commissioner, I told the governor who appointed me, Governor Waihei, here's what I want to do. Here's what I think we have to do. I've got to keep the insurance industry stable. I've got to keep them prosperous. But I also want our community to benefit by fair insurance rates. Um, so that was the vision and mission I had. As the head of AIG, I took, you to, I took over when uh, it was uh, in, in a very bad financial shape. And I wanted to do something so that it would be prosperous and it would serve the community and also give back to the community. When you start with visions like that, uh, then everything else falls into place. I think having the vision and uh, de determining your mission and your goals is, is, is what would make you successful in, in any job in any sector. And then you talked a little bit about serving the community in this, in this last question and a couple of the others. So how important is really giving back to the community? Uh, from my perspective, what I think, you know, 
here's, here's where I come. Uh, I've had some wonderful jobs and I've had a lot of great opportunities, but they're only given to me by people who had the, who reached out to me and helped me along the way. And the only way I can pay them back is by helping others. Uh, how do you help others? Well, I got to think that, um, despite all the problems we have in our country today, this is a great country and this is a great state. And I want to do what I can to help build the state because it's given me an opportunity uh, to thrive, to be successful. It's given me an opportunity to provide for my family. So it's become very important for me to do what I can to help the community. And so I spent a lot of time working on uh, a lot of nonprofit uh, organizations in town and actually throughout the country as well. So it's, it's a very important part of my existence. Hmm. And then it sounds like you held, you've held many, many leadership roles. So like, what are your views on leadership? More specifically, how do you think leaders should lead? And um, what was the most important thing to keep in mind when you were leading such a large corporation like AIG? I think that there are a lot of people nowadays and the term leadership is viewed quite broadly. To me, a leader is one who actually have people, have people follow them. Uh, not because of position, not because of authority, not because they got elected to office, uh, be, but because they prove their worth by doing things. So what do they have to do? You create that vision. You create an atmosphere to succeed. You help others. You nurture them to succeed. And with and 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 then you you go out and with your you know and and with the best of planning you do what you what you said you're going to start out to do. Leadership is a combination of of that, encouraging others to follow, encouraging others to do their best. And people sort of sometimes forget that that oh okay well I got this position therefore I'm leader. No, it's you prove your worth, and therefore you are a leader. So it's a, it's a slight shift in the in the dynamic. Uh, but I think that's what's governed a lot of my activity. So I've, I've been uh, uh, chairman of, uh, or the president of a lot of different organizations in, in town. Is that true leadership? No, that of itself does not prove my leadership capability. Uh, if I am to be judged by my leadership, it's going to be, what did I do as a result of it? Mm -hmm. I have the people that uh, I've worked with grown and thrived. I mean, I'm very proud of the fact that uh, at several, just about every organization that I work at, uh, I have subordinates who have gone on to greater and better things. When I left AIG and Farmers, um, when I retired from that, uh, I was very, very proud that one of my uh, selected uh, employees became the next CEO and went on to greater and better things. Uh, when I left Ulupono, some of the people that I had left behind uh, have gone on to greater and better things. And that's absolutely delightful to me. And that's how I think uh, a, a true leader reacts by having others grow into leadership positions and to seek fulfillment in some way. Huh. And then do you have any tips as to how to become a good leader? How to develop those leadership traits and good character? Okay, I'm going to tell you the first thing that my mom told me uh, and my dad told me uh, when uh, I got my first leadership job. Uh, my mom was a secretary, uh, you know, at first in a law firm and uh, and then later on in, um, for uh, uh, mil in, in the military. Uh, so she always took the, the role of 
the clerical support that I've always had. So wherever I went, my mom would always remind me, don't forget to take care of the people that are around you. Don't forget to take care of them because they're going to see you on the way up and they're going to see you on the way down. And you have to be consistent no matter where you are. So she would slap my head and tell me, did you take care of your secretary? Are you treating her nice? Uh, and, as, and as much as I would tell you, yeah, mom, I am, I am. Uh, that became a very important part of, of, of my persona. When I, when I took the job at AIG, uh, I went, you know, went to my dad's house and I told him, dad, you know, um, I was offered the presidency of a company. I'm going to start out at the, at the start of the company. I'm not working my way up. They're, they're offering me the number one job at the top of the company. And he looked at me and he thought about it and said, well, you know, the only other place you start at the top is when you dig a hole. So be very careful. Well, what do you mean be very careful? He says, remember who you are. And I thought about that uh, and he didn't say anything else. And I thought, okay, so who, you know, who am I uh, besides being now identified as the head of an organization? Well, I'm a person who believes in trying to help others. I'm a person who believes in working really hard. I'm a person who believes that if we come up with a big strategy and we can achieve it, we can all feel really good about it. And we all, I'm a person who believes we should give back to uh, the community and those who help. And that sort of helped me. In, in, in setting forth the kind of manager, the kind of leader that I am. Awesome. That's my form of leadership, buddy. Uh, there are a lot of other people who would treat it different. Military leaders see it primarily as I've got a, I've got a higher rank, I've earned a higher rank, therefore I'm, um, I'm a leader. And many of them are extremely good leaders. Uh, government leaders, uh, I've been appointed to this position, I've been elected to this position, therefore I'm a leader. So the, you know, people, in leadership roles and different leadership roles treated differently. Mm -hmm. But you heard what I had to say about it. Yeah. From my perspective. yeah. And then uh, you spoke a little bit about your time with the SBA um, and how you were able to have the focus and mindset of helping Hawaii small businesses. So can you speak a little bit about your role at the SBA? SBA was, uh, that, was a, that was a very interesting uh, job. I mean, uh, it's a federal agency that primarily gives uh, loans to smaller businesses, loans that are more risky than a bank would give uh, a loan to. So you're out there trying to help businesses knowing that you're not gonna make all of them succeed, that a good portion of them are, are not gonna succeed. They're gonna close their doors, they're gonna file foreclosure and bankruptcy and all those terrible things. But every once in a while, you'll have a good uh, company that's gonna succeed and you feel really good about it. So that, that was sort of an interesting challenge, you know, working with bankers to try to persuade them to take more risks, uh, working with the small business community, knowing that um, some of them you really want to fulfill their dreams and knowing that others you're not going to be able to do that. Uh, being a manager in a federal bureaucracy at times is uh, really tough because you've got this huge bureaucracy centered in Washington, D.C. that regulate the way you are and the way you think. Um, but SBA was, a, because it's a smaller agency, there was a lot of flexibility and we took, I think Hawaii took full advantage at the time in trying to be flexible and trying to provide the loans and other small business services. That was fun. Hmm. And then after the, uh, was it an acquisition of AIG? Oh yes. So um, AIG again was one of the premier uh, financial services company in the world in 2008. Uh, it did 
sell insurance a lot. It was probably one of, it still is one of the best insurance uh, uh, underwriters in the world. Uh, but it did crazy things. It owned the airport of Dubai. It owned one of the major uh, buildings in Makati in Metro Manila. It had one of the most expensive properties in the world in a building outside the Imperial Palace in, in Tokyo. Uh, it's fleet of aircraft. It had an airline leasing company that had the largest fleet of airlines in the world. It owned more airplanes than American, United, and Delta did put together. Um, so it was a massive conglomerate, but it ran into problems in 2009, and it started to sell off its assets. Mm. And so the, the unit that sold auto insurance uh, that, I, that I belonged to uh, was eventually sold to Farmers Insurance. Now, as that happened, uh, I realized that the franchise that I had uh, was very valuable. When AIG was sold, uh, when AIG's you know, auto insurance company was sold, the Hawaii operation was a very significant part of it. And we went, you know, we were taken by farmers. Uh, I, you know, with my experience with, uh, you know, uh, my national experience as an insurance commissioner, uh, I, I happened to know some of the people at Farmers. In fact, the CEO uh, was very happy that I was coming over as part of the acquisition. So, uh, so after the acquisition, I, I steered them through the acquisition. I made things work. We did everything. We rebranded ourselves, uh, Farmers Insurance, and you know, I could have lived happily ever after. But then somebody from Piero Midiar's office came knocking on my door and said, hey, why don't you run this new venture that, we, uh, that we're going to start in Hawaii, trying to make Hawaii more self-sufficient by investing in projects dealing with energy and food. So why don't you make Hawaii greater? And I was like, well, do I keep the nice job as a CEO of a large insurance company in Hawaii? Or do I try something new, like trying to help make Hawaii great again? Uh, and having had a great career uh, in insurance, I thought, well, let me take a little bit of a gamble and go work for Pierre. So um, yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was a tough choice, but it's nice to have great choices like that. And so that's, that's why I decided to retire from insurance and move on to the philanthropic world. Awesome. Um, can you tell us about, were you one of the creating members or one of the founding members of the Ulupono initiative? Yeah, yes, I was uh, one of two general partners that started it. Hmm. Um, and so can you tell me about how they helped the community and how um, their goals and really values align with your own personal values? What, what Ulupono started out to do was make investments in projects that would help Hawaii become self-sufficient. So a lot of our initial investments, like with other um, you know, uh, venture capital firms were not successful. Uh, you know, we tried to invest in biofuels companies. We tried to invest in farms. Uh, and um, I think there's still some uh, outstanding investments, knock on wood, that are going to work. But that's the nature of making investments. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Ulupono also does some um, grants. And, and while um, some of the grants do really good things, they're not going to sustain Ulupono. Pierre's vision was to create an investment firm uh, that becomes self-sufficient. Uh, he pours millions of dollars into many organizations such as, you know, like Ulupono, and for many of them, he expects them to be self-sufficient. It's a fascinating model. It's a great model. He doesn't want to keep on pouring money down the drain. And so Ulupono's mission was eventually to become self-sufficient, but also help Hawaii become self-sufficient. Wonderful model. 
they're still they're still out there they're still trying it's a it's a it's a big struggle uh i hope, I hope them i hope that they succeed uh, but it's not an easy mission for them mm -hmm. and then can you speak a little bit about the impact that you were able to have on the white community while you were serving with the Ulupuna initiative you know it's hard to say because i look at all the companies I look at all the organizations that were helped. Some of them are still there. Some of them have given up. Some of them have gone, uh, gone broke. Uh, but I think to the extent that the Ulupono Initiative tried to get people to focus on food and energy, that, that alone is something that will help the community overall. You know, looking at today, let's bring it forward to you know, today. You know, what do we need to do to come out of this COVID-19 crisis? We need to become more self-sufficient. We need to diversify our economy. And some of the work that Ulupono had done uh, in trying to diversify our economy, in trying to get more natural, uh, more renewable energy uh, on grid uh, is very important. It's gonna help us in the long run. Hmm. Awesome. <clears throat> and then uh, from working at so many reputable companies and can you describe to us some of maybe the patterns that you discovered while working at all of those in those top level positions? I think if I were to look at patterns, uh, companies or organizations that try to do good within the community, but also understand basic economics that uh, you know be, become very important. I think organizations that are committed to their goals tend to succeed more than not. You know, I've worked, you know, if, you, if you're in a private sector, uh, a lot of private sector people think that people who work in government um, are lazy, they don't do their job. Uh, but a lot of the employees that I work side by side with, that I manage and super, uh, supervise at both the state and federal sectors, I think are the most were the most sincere and dedicated people I've ever worked with. They worked hard. Hmm. But it was because they had a mission. They, they, they figured out that they weren't there just to punch the clock and collect their salary at the end of the day. They were there because they thought they were doing some good. They thought that they were making a difference. And when you have organizations that are committed to that, that can find a way to get their employees committed to the idea that they can make a difference no matter what they do, uh, then the organization has a better chance of succeeding and the employees, everybody that works for the organization can think that they're doing something to make a, make a better life for everybody. That's, that's a fairly significant thing, very important. I've worked with organizations and I've seen people in the organizations, uh, you know, in which I work where they're there to punch a clock. They don't really care that much. They don't get excited about the overall mission. Give them the job, they're gonna push the paper across the desk and be done with it. And by the way, that could be a state, it could be a federal, that could be a for-profit organization. You see that throughout. So to get everybody committed to good ideals is uh, I think the fun part of, of working for any organization. Hmm. Um, and then in working for uh, so many different organizations, charitable organizations, for-profit, non-profit, government sector, what were the main differences in working in those different sectors? Uh, well, again, you know, when you work for government, you're working for the 
people, you know, for the federal government, it's for the federal taxpayers, literally, and for the state government, it's for state taxpayers. So, uh, and for a you know, private company, it's for the stockholders of that company. Uh, for um, working for Pierre, well, it was his money, so we worked for him. So you do have different reporting lines, and it's important to remember who, you know, who actually pays your salary, uh, and to understand that you've got to make uh, whoever pays your salary happy. Hmm. And then from that comes different expectations and and, and different um, you know different desires and the like. But it starts with that. Hmm. And then when you serve as maybe the president of a charitable board, how does that differ than serving as the CEO of a giant company? Well, okay, let's talk about the the uh, system of governments. You know, uh, literally a whatever leadership structure you have reports to a higher authority, normally a board. So the president of the University of Hawaii reports to a board of regents, and I served in the board of regents of both University of Hawaii and Chaminade. The president of an insurance company reports to a board uh, who, you know, like in, like in most boards, has the decision on whether or not you hire or fire. The, um, the president. So in that sense, uh, the, the role of a board in a private sector, in the public sector, in the governmental sector, all have similar governance structures. The missions, again, differ, just as like the mission of a, uh, the head of an organization will differ, the, the mission of the board differs. So I think I told you, buddy, offline that yeah, I do have a lot of experience. I think if I added up the time uh, that I spent on for-profit boards, nonprofit boards, government boards, uh, trade association boards, federal boards. I have close to 400 years of experience. Um, I don't think I'm. I hope I don't look 400 years old, um, but it, it, you know, it it does represent a big part of uh, my experience, of my background too. Yeah. And then maybe I guess if this is too hard to do, then no need. But looking back into those 400 years of culminated experience. What are the most important lessons that you learned from your time? Oh, focus me a little bit more on that. <laughs> what kind um, of lessons are you looking for? Hmm. So maybe <clears throat> something that really opened your eyes or helped you to look towards the future or made you um, have a moment of intuition. Hmm. Okay, let me let me start this way, and if it um, let me let me try this. I don't know how come I I got suckered into so many boards uh, or to suckered into leading all these organizations. Uh, and if I were to ask people, well, why did you approach me? Um, you know, and I and I did ask, why was I why was I offered the job? Why was I recruited? Uh, to take these positions, uh, the general thing is we heard about you. We saw what you've been working on. You're known as a hard worker. More important to me, you're known as a person of integrity. And we like your, you know, we like your, uh, your, your action, your visibility. That's, you know, a unifying uh, stream of statements that people have told me when I've been recruited for to serve on a board or to serve on a uh, uh, commission of some type or you know work for the government boards like being a regent or working on a stadium authority uh, so you know having good a good work ethic i think helps in 
your, your, you know, you and your colleagues, your, your future, you know, work commitments, your future development is all depending on, on the kind of person you are. Hmm. And then <clears throat> what recommendations would you maybe give to someone who is interested in pursuing a career in business? Learn as much as you can. Usually, you know, between now and the time you get into business on a full-time basis, because I think a lot of you, like you, uh, you know, will be dabbling in business ventures uh, throughout your career, uh, your remaining career as a student. Learn as much as you can. And when I say learn, yeah, I think it's very important to learn basic accounting, uh, basic finance, uh, economics, learn, learn how the world works from an economic perspective, uh, but also learn about the world without a business lens. As I mentioned, my undergraduate degree was in liberal studies. I never touched the business book until I got into grad school. And I think that was the greatest education I've ever had. You know, um, when I look back, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, some of the stuff that I, I, I've stocked away in my memory may seem irrelevant or trivial. I mean, you know, I love listening to, the, to Brindisi from La Triviata. Uh, I, I love looking at Michelangelo's, uh, you know, I just, I, I can still see Michelangelo's David in, in, this, in, in Firenze when I was there. Uh, looking at the Golden Pavilion and understanding the history of Kyoto uh, was, was very important. Understanding how to cognate the, the word I from Indonesian to Tahitian to Hawaiian uh, was fascinating. What does this have to do with business? Nothing but yet everything. You see, having that liberal education to learn about humanity, I think is one of the most important attributes of being a business leader today. Yes, you can, you know, you could, you could come up to the ranks as being the most brilliant accountant, or you can come up through the ranks and try to run things and be the most wonderful attorney. Uh, but if you don't have that grounding in arts and sciences and in humanities, you're nothing. So, you know, as you continue on your academic careers and you focus on business, let's say, some of you uh, will no doubt go on to a business school someplace. Good for you, great. Uh, but don't forget your undergraduate grounding in the humanities, in English, in literature, in language, in linguistics, uh, in sociology is, is super important and will help make you a better person in the long run. Please don't forget that. Um, and then, <clears throat> How important do you think are mentors and how, how would you really acquire a good mentor? Well, you know, there are, in my career, there are a lot of people I looked up to and I just modeled them. I never went to anybody and said, hey, can you be my mentor? I was too scared, I was too nervous, but I watched them from afar. And some of those people today, I still look upon as people whose careers I follow, whose habits and behavior I follow, and I consider to be mentors. In other senses, a lot of people reached out and helped me uh, without me asking for help. And um, I, you know, I look upon that with wonder and a lot of gratitude, and I've tried to do the same thing. Recently, you know, I, think, I think I've mentioned, I think there's like 50 or 60 individuals that from time to time uh, want me, in some respects, to mentor them. And it starts with, hey, Mr. Campagnano, can I buy you a, a cup of coffee? Or can I, can I pick your brain? And it leads on to this and this and this. And certainly when you ask somebody for help, I need your advice. Or uh, I want to ask you opinion. People are generally 
oh, grateful or delighted that uh, you look upon them as someone that can give you some advice. So I wouldn't be af afraid to ask someone, can I, you know, can I spend a little time with you? I, I, I have some questions to ask you. Maybe you can help me. I need your advice. Uh, if you've chosen the right person, uh, they would be sort of delighted. They may, be, they, they may say they're too busy, um, but generally a good mentor will find the time. Hmm. So I would encourage you to find people to model your behavior or to help you along the way. I would ask you to, to actually do that and, and try to look upon the models now as you embark upon your, your perhaps last few years in high school and um, beginning years in college. Look, look to the people that you can, you can look to for guidance or for inspiration. Sometimes it's gonna be a professor or an, a teacher. Sometimes it's gonna be a family friend that you can just watch out of your corner of your eye and model their behavior. And it could be what to do, but also what not to do. So yeah, I think mentorship and having good role models is extremely important. And then can you share with us um, maybe one piece of knowledge that you received from a mentor that's really helped you? Well, if you go back to uh, my mom, who was a mentor in a sense, who told me to make sure that I uh, treated everybody with respect, <laughs> uh, that was a good example. Um, for non-related, non-relative uh, mentors, uh, a lot of them was how they treated people, how they, how they operated with integrity. I think that's the greatest takeaway for me was to be to be true to yourself, to have good upstanding morals. You know, if you're a Christian or a Buddhist or what whatever religion spiritual background you have, you all have that spiritual guidance about honesty, integrity, morality. Uh, I think it's a very important uh, backbone to have in your in your structure. You don't necessarily learn that in school. You learn that through watching others. You learn that through the spiritual teachings that you may or may not have. But that, that to me is one of the most important takeaways that you can have. Hmm. And can you speak to maybe the importance of networking and especially in a business setting and how, how that's really played a role for you? Networking uh, is very important. So, okay, when I, um, my dad was in the, in the military, in the Air Force. And when we came back to Hawaii, uh, I knew nobody. We were not connected. And the people we knew were all related to military. So I went through high school and college and my beginning years as a professional, having known nobody, <laughs> literally. Uh, yeah, very small family. Uh, it, during my time at AIG, I realized, though, many years later, I could walk into the uh, office of any CEO in town, major CEOs in town, and they would know who I am. I knew my way around all of the, you know, uh, educational institutions. I knew my way around Congress. I could walk into any congressman's office in Hawaii, and for many Congress, congressional offices, not in Hawaii, and I knew people. So how did I grow from having virtually no network to, um, you know, a, a much larger network. It was just talking to people, getting to know people, and never realizing where um, they can come, you know, where, where they can help you in the future or where you can help them in the future. Uh, you know, just last week, somebody who I lost track of 10 years ago, 11 years ago, uh, reached out for me and asked me for help. And um, I 
sort of didn't realize I'd been a role model for him for 20 years. And all of a sudden he asked me for help and I was really delighted to be able to, to help him. So you establish networks and patterns that uh, may come handy next week or may come handy next decade. You just never know. Hmm. And so, I mean, <clears throat> from working at the, really the highest levels of many different institutions, how did you yourself keep a, a really healthy work-life balance? And what did you have to sacrifice to become successful? That, that's a, that, buddy, that's a great question. You know, work-life balance is, is super important. And I've seen a lot of situations. Uh, in fact, I've got one uh, that just happened last year where a uh, young up-and-comer who, you know, I've been, I've, been, I've been talking to for about six or seven years, uh, his marriage fell apart because he wasn't spending enough time doing it. Uh, you know, working on his relationship. And that, that, was, that, that was terrible. He was sacrificing his career uh, for that. Uh, people make tough choices and it's, it's really, really hard. Uh, but just, you know, so I, I would ask you all just to understand that you need some kind of balance. Uh, you, you know, you need to work hard, but you also need to play hard as well. I will tell you my personal story, which is uh, <clears throat> um, kind of tough one. As insurance commissioner, I was going all around the country uh, working on behalf of all the states. And one Saturday morning um, in Florida, I was sitting with, in an early morning breakfast with several commissioners and we're trying to do these earth-shaking changes in, in regulation. And we we're on, a, on the cusp of doing something great. So it was like, look, it's, it's, it's almost seven o'clock. You know, we're, we're, all do, we're all flying home. One guy was going back to Nebraska, another guy to North Dakota, one guy to Philly, and another guy to Washington. I was coming back to Hawaii. And we were talking about where we're going to have dinner Monday night in D.C. You know, we're all going to go home. This is Saturday morning, and Monday night we're going to be in D.C., which required me to fly home, fly out Sunday night, and meet my friends and colleagues in D.C. And we're going to do testimony because Tuesday morning we had to testify on Capitol Hill in front of uh, the U.S. Senate. <clears throat> well. Um, I got, I got home and I called my wife from the airport, no cell phones at the time. And I told her, hey, I'm on my way home. I got a cab, Don't, you have to come pick me up. And I cab dropped me in, in my driveway and my wife came running out and told me, don't come in the driveway, I got a surprise for you. And my two kids who were about seven and six years old at the time came out of the driveway riding their bicycles, their two wheelers. Um, and I said, how did they take the wheels off? You know, because the previous weekend, we were still with two training wheels on their bikes and they're driving <clears throat> rings around me. My wife said, well, I went to the, the park and the custodian helped me teach my kids how to ride a two wheeler and took the training wheels off. And I thought, hey, you know what? That's a daddy job. The daddy, it was my job to teach my kids how to ride the bike. It was my job to take them out to the park on Saturday. Instead, my wife took them out and the custodian took the role of father to my, to my children. And I thought back, I had left them previous Saturday night. I flew out on a Saturday night and I still remember them because sitting in the backseat of the car, as I had done many times, waving goodbye as I took a plane off to the mainland. And I thought, okay, well, here I am trying to, trying to make a uh, make a living and trying to do some wonderful things for for regulation and, and I'm doing Capitol Hill uh, but here are my kids where's the work-life balance well I didn't take the trip 
Capitol Hill. I never went back as insurance commissioner. I announced my resignation a week after that because I realized my, my life was out of kilter. I was one of the most successful commissioners and one of the most prominent commissioners in the country. Uh, and um, also beginning to make a reputation worldwide as an insurance regulator. But I'd forgotten one of the most basic parts of being a human being, and that was, that was being a father. Very painful. I'm still paying those lessons today. So, you know, take that to heart. Understand that you need a balance. And I think the best way to show that was like sharing a very painful but very serious story with you all. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that story with us. Um, can you can you look back maybe towards the beginning of your career and tell us what you um, what do you wish you had known at the beginning? Oh man. If I knew all the risk I would take and all the trouble I would have gotten into, I don't think I would have gotten out of bed. So, uh, so I don't know. Sometimes I sit with my wife and I think, my gosh, what was I thinking then? That was a really risky move. What did I do? What was I thinking? Was I, was I not thinking? So, so my response is, I don't want to look back. Uh, my advice to thine own self be true. Make sure that you, you set out on your, on your quest with the best of intentions, with a clear heart, clear mind, and with all the honesty and integrity that you can muster. Maybe that's the way to look at it. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, um, I was talking to my grandfather because we told me and my cousin told um, him that we we're going to do an interview with you and he told me that you are a wine connoisseur. And so can you tell us a little bit about that and how important it is to have hobbies? Uh, I think uh, that's part of the work-life uh, balance. And yeah, your, 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 your grandfather and I go way, way back. Um, one of my hobbies was uh, learning how to drink wine. And so um, over time, I, I, I took a test as a sommelier. So I, I am, uh, you know, I do have some background in that. You know, uh, uh, at one, at one point, um, I had over 3,000 bottles in my, in my, in my cellar with a, bunch more on order and i remember coming to a realization hey wait a minute if i drink a bottle a week i'm going to be 115 by the time i finish all these bottles so maybe i got to do something about it uh so you know um that was more of being a collector than being someone who appreciated wine so i went off the deep end a little bit on wine collection i i, I know people with 8,000, 10,000 bottle connect, uh, collections that live with their nose in the wine glass. I've sort of had to step away from that a little bit because it couldn't be a very expensive hobby, but it's, it, was, it is still a, a very good hobby to have. Hmm. Um, and then now in the situation that we've been facing for the past maybe six or seven months with the coronavirus, how has that really affected you and the trajectory of your career and your goals? I found myself, you know, because because where I am now is, um, I I uh, I've been a counselor and mentor. You mentioned a little bit of my resume. I help uh, I help business and other organizations. I currently have desks in four businesses uh, throughout town, and I flit from business to business and help them. So I spent a lot of time on trying to help them understand what it will take 
in the post-COVID environment? What's the new normal? What are they going to be faced with? In addition to those four businesses, I do have a handful of other businesses that I, I handle and some of the boards I sit on and some of the uh, people I mentor. So everybody's clamoring for what am I going to do next? What's life going to look like next year? So I spend, I spend my days uh, trying to help these organizations, these indi individuals try to figure out how to reform their expectations, how to reform their operations. Some of them will thrive. Some of them can pivot and become very valuable and find ways to sell a product uh, that they can sell. Some of them will have to unfortunately go under. Um, they're, they're not gonna make it. Um, they're, they're just not. So um, it, really, it really differs. I mean, we do have some challenges as a state, as a, as a country, as a world, uh, but, the, the but I'm focusing on the businesses I help, mostly in Honolulu. And it's been um, it's been a lot of busy work, and we're trying to guess what the future is, and trying to figure out okay, what are we going to look like as a community six months from now, six years from now? And that's been, that's 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 been the challenge. That's what's that's been keeping that's what's been keeping me uh, busy seven days a week now. And uh, would you be able to speak to some of those major changes that you see coming? Oh, because uh, okay. So we're not going to see as many tourists. We're going to see a lot of people, a lot more people unemployed. We're going to see uh, continued decline in business and restaurants and hotels. By the end of the year, I suspect, uh, based on what we see, um, Waikiki, Lahaina, Kona uh, will suffer tremendously. We're going to see massive unemployment still. We have about 210, 220,000 people unemployed now. And even by starting up uh, the airlines uh, flying in, we will still have about 120,000 people unemployed by the end of the year. Going into 2021, we're still gonna see that. I think a lot of you and your colleagues are gonna have a hard time trying to figure out if you really wanna spend some time going to a mainland institution of higher education. Uh, you know, a lot of it, a lot of schools and colleges are going to go to a virtual classroom. That's you can do that part time, but I think part of the enriching environment of higher education is getting to talk story and getting to interrelate with people your own age, and that's going to be sorely lacking. So, um, will you find more opportunities attending a an institution of a higher education locally? Um, maybe your parents are going to have a harder time affording it. Uh, so I think that's going to be a big change uh, for you all. I think professors, your better professors tend to be older, and a lot of them are not going to be happy to go back into the classroom. You're going to have not the good experience in having your top professors see you eye to eye across from a table or in a lecture hall. You're going to see them uh, through a Zoom conference, and you're going to you're going to lose out a lot for that. So you, uh, we're looking at how do you how do you reform your 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 situation like uh, like that? How do how you really get the value of interaction, social interaction, as a student if you, you can't see face to face? That's replicated by what's going to happen in the business community. Some businesses. Yeah, you can work remotely, you can work through Zoom, but there's a lot of businesses that require face-to-face -face interaction. You're not going to see that. In the major part of Hawaii's economy, which is retail operations, tourist operations, we're going to suffer. We're going to suffer for many, many years. And, you know, watching what's happening on a national level, on an international level, for that matter, um, I'd be hard-pressed. I wouldn't want to be 
in a car rental business, in an airline business, in a hotel business, or any business associated with that, because it's going to be really tough. So how do you pivot? How do you, how do you sell product? How do you provide services that would allow you to stay alive and thrive? And that's a challenge that everybody's facing now. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, thank you for answering our baseline questions. Now we're going to switch over to the questions that the students had. Um, the first of which is, what did your day-to-day -day life routine look like um, or used to look like? My day-to-day -day routine. Oh, gosh. Uh, for all my jobs, it's waking up, um, sometimes working out at the club, taking yoga and the like. Uh, and spending anywhere from eight to, let's say, 11 hours um, at, at work, uh, coming home, doing my chores, and spending anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours uh, at night uh, in preparation for the next day. So the work, if you're, if you're talking about uh, work, a time dedicated to work, uh, no matter what job I was at in my legal or management career, it was probably at least 10 to 12 hours a day, if I could. 50 to 60 hour work weeks were, you know, were light work weeks for me. They still are. Hmm. Um, and then the second question is, what mindset do you have to have in order to be able to learn every single day? Well, I've never seen myself as the smartest person the most talented person. I was never the most athletic person. Uh, I never had flaming uh, good looks or confidence that I could attract every, every girl that I, that, I, that I fell in love with. Um, so having that mindset that I, I could always do more, I could always learn more, really helped. I was never the smartest kid on the block. There's always somebody smarter than me. There's someone always more talented than me. So having a little bit of humility and understanding that, well, I'm never gonna be the best, but I'm just gonna try within my own capabilities. Oh, and by the way, if I learn a little bit more, maybe I can be better. Yeah. Having that type of attitude really helped me. Hmm. And then um, just another question from me. Uh, do you have any book suggestions or any movie suggestions? Oh gosh, um, I'm a prolific reader, but I read everything from travel to baseball. I, I love baseball. Uh, you know, the story of baseball, the history of baseball. I read a lot of uh, war stuff, um, you know, uh, war stories, um, historical stuff, because it teaches me strategy. Mm -hmm. So at any given moment, I will have anywhere from four to six books on my shelf, and I'll read them and I'll put them down, read them and put them down. And I've done this for 30 years. Um, so I've read thousands of books in my lifetime. Uh, some of it just to, to escape. Um, I do not necessarily read books on how to become a better CEO uh, because you don't get to be a CEO by reading a, a $39 uh, book. You learn it through experience. Um, so being a pro prolific reader is great. On movies and the like, I mean, right now, uh, you know, I have to watch what my wife is watching. And so we're on Korean dramas a lot. Um, we do have individual Netflix accounts, but uh, I frankly would rather read a book than go on Netflix right now. But there are times when I'm I just want to escape, so I'll watch movies, whatever. Um, and then next question for our audience is, what age or point in your career slash education did you look to find a mentor? Oh, probably when I was 11. And every year after that. Again, you know, I use mentor in a, a broader sense, someone that I can look up to and uh, model. You know, not, not someone who could give me 
advice like a like an advisor because you know, I was generally too shy or I could never find anybody that could really fit the bill like that. Um, but I would always find people that I could I I I could I could look at I could look up to and see part of what I wanted to be in their behavior. Sort of like a sports hero. I mean I, I so like a Mickey Mantle all the way to Tiger Woods, uh, not knowing, you know, knowing I'm not gonna be the best ball player or golfer, but I look to parts of their their habits, their personum that I, I liked. I love their dedication, their fierce concentration, uh, their mission, you know, how they start with, um, with strong mission, you know, with mission. Um, there are a lot of other mentors I look to because of their values. So I, I, I watch people in that sense. Um, but I would encourage all of you to find people close to you. Like I said, it could be your, a relative, it could be your father's friend, uh, or people you see in the news and watch their behavior. Maybe you get to know them or reach out to them or find a way to talk to them. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, more, the more opportunities you have, the better. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then last question from our audience. What were the biggest challenge you have faced and how did you ever overcome those challenges? You know, buddy, I've had so, <laughs> so many challenges, uh, both in terms of what the job called for, but in terms for, uh, you, know, you know, personal challenges as well. Uh, I think the best, thing, the, the best thing I can say is that if you walk into any situation <clears throat> with a clear mind and conscience, with, the, with all the honesty and integrity you can muster, that prepare you for any challenge. You're not going to succeed in all of them. Yeah, I've made, I've made mistakes in my life, big flaming blow up mistakes, uh, but I've also had my serious successes too. Uh, but I, I, I try to approach them the same way. Awesome. Well, I mean, all right, thank you very much, Mr. Campania, for joining us today and really sharing your knowledge and experiences and even time with us. And we appreciate it here at Virtual Student Experiences. And I'm, I'm sure the students who will view this later will be grateful what you've shared with us here today. And um, just for the students, just to let you know, we have another webinar scheduled for this coming Thursday at 10 a.m. HST. And if you'd like to be notified about future VSE webinars, you can sign up on virtualstudentexperiences.com. All right. Thank you so much for joining us here today. And have Thank a nice you. Day. Thank you. All right.